Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, A Well-Researched Christmas. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Mary's Song. Many of us have read Charles Dickens' classic entitled A Christmas Carol. And when I was a boy, we would sit down and watch the black and white film version. It was starring Alistair Sims, which which still to this day, I think the best film ever made of that wonderful story. It's, of course, the story of a very selfish and wealthy, miserable miser named Ebenezer Scrooge. But Scrooge is about to have a most surprising Christmas ever. He's visited by his dead partner, Joseph Marley. Marley's bound in chains, the chains he's accumulated throughout his life, which has doomed him to an eternity of torment. But he's been allowed to come and warn Scrooge not to carry out his way. He wants Scrooge to save himself from Marley's fate. And the rest of the story is the story of a marvelous transformation that that makes Scrooge a generous and compassionate man. And Dickens ends his book with the words of his character. It says, he had no further intercourse with spirits. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge, may that be truly said of us and of all of us. See, I wonder if you possess the knowledge of how to keep Christmas well. You know, if I said to you, there are only a few days left until Christmas, a lot of us would say, oh no, you know, I'm just not ready for it yet. And what do we mean by that? Most of us would answer, well, I'm not done all my shopping. You know, Christmas for many is this mad rush to the malls to buy the right gift for everyone on our list. And, and of course, there's the Christmas tree and all the events that we have to attend. And then we're supposed to get together with family, and it has to be a time that, you know, should be remembered. And so we do feel overwhelmed by the season. And one frequently hears people say that they just hate Christmas. You know, many people are depressed at Christmas time. I think that one of the reasons why our country demands the having of Christmas is, you know, it drives the economy. And here's what I think. Very few of us know how to keep Christmas well. How does one do that? I actually think that if Dickens were alive today, he wouldn't write about a miser. He'd write about an extravagant spender who buys everyone a gift and attends every event, but whose spirit is dead and he can't see what's before him. You know, in the end of Luke chapter 1, as Luke is giving us his well-researched Christmas, he records two songs. The first is the song of Mary, and then that's followed by the song of Zechariah. But today, let's have a look at Mary's song. Given that Luke has been interviewing eyewitnesses, and given that Luke had access to Mary, so I'm just assuming that he interviewed her directly regarding her response to the visit of the angel and her unexpected virgin pregnancy. I mean, what would Mary say about all of that? And what Luke would have found is that Mary, at at the announcement of the child in her womb, well, she didn't panic or she didn't struggle with conflicting emotions— But her response, in spite of what would have been the difficulties caused by this event, well, her response was one of rapturous, delightful, overwhelming joy. Luke 1, 46 to 56, has sometimes been called Mary's song. It's also been called the Magnificat. Remember, Mary, now pregnant, has gone down from Galilee to Jerusalem to visit her relative Elizabeth. And now that Mary is pregnant, for obvious reasons, she must leave her hometown, but Elizabeth is now in her sixth month. And as Mary walks into Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy, and Elizabeth, knowing in her own spirit what this event means, calls Mary the mother of my Lord. 
And as those words are spoken, Mary, inspired, I think, with the Holy Spirit, utters her very famous words. So let's listen in as Mary speaks, or as Mary celebrates, or as Mary worships. I'm reading Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Well, how do we keep Christmas well? Well, the answer, I think, comes from Mary's song. Her song is celebration. I mean, if there ever has been one, Mary knew how to celebrate. There are two lines in her initial song. In the first, she says that her soul magnifies the Lord. And in the second, she says that her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Now, I want to point something out about that first line. In Matthew 23, verse 5, When Jesus was condemning the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, he said, and I quote, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That's the kind of hypocrites the Pharisees were. Now, phylacteries, well, those were those small leather boxes, and they contained small bits of scripture, and the Pharisees actually tied them to their foreheads. And fringes were tassels that were worn at the bottom of their robe to remember the law. And the Pharisees made these as large as they possibly could just in order to be noticed by others. So you want to think about that. Long or large tassels, making them as big and as noticeable as one possibly could. So why am I mentioning that? Well, I'm mentioning it because the term long or large when referring to the tassels is the same word that Mary uses when she uses the word magnify. So now you know what magnify means. It means to make large. And when she says, my soul makes large the Lord, I mean, we should know that the soul is is the word which expresses the totality of being. It includes the intellect and the imagination and the emotions and even the body. The soul is the essence of who we are. It's the the principle within us that, that holds our entire personality together. So what's Mary saying? Well, whatever it is, she's expressing it in the ongoing present tense. She's saying that, you know, in her mind and in her emotions and in her will and in her imagination and her creativity and in her day-to-day tasks, in all of it, she says, I'm constantly, daily, moment by moment, making God as large as I am able. Of course, God can't be made large. I mean, God's God. He's not made. But, But hear me. You can enlarge your soul to see God. And Mary in celebration is saying exactly that. I mean, until this pregnancy, she says, I never saw the magnificence of God as I do today. But now God is getting bigger in my soul. And rightly understood, Christmas should cause all of us to say exactly that. I mean, until I researched the events of Christmas, well, I I never saw the magnificence of God. My soul has been enlarged, says Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, note verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Now, unfortunately, in our English Bible, it does not appear the way it does in the Greek. And in the Greek, well, it's actually in the past tense. Actually, Mary said, and my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. The spirit is that part of our humanity that that responds to God. And what she's saying is that because she's in the habit of enlarging her soul, at, at some time in the past, she rejoiced in God. But, but when was that? Well, most likely it was when Gabriel came and told her that she would be the mother of the Christ. She was filled not with anxiety and worry, but she was immediately filled with delight. It was pleasure. It was joy. It was celebration. She understood what this meant. And in truth, Mary really isn't self-absorbed. I mean, she might have been self-absorbed, and we know that, but she's not. In fact, what impresses her is not that God should give her good things, but that God has noticed her at all. In fact, from that last verse, Mary confessed that she was a sinner. She said, my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. See, she says she needed a Savior. So for all of you who think that Mary is sinless, well, sorry, Mary didn't think she was. So Mary, the one who needed a Savior, she's overwhelmed that God would notice her. Not just notice her, but take her, after all, who was she? And overwhelm her with such an amazing honor. In fact, isn't that just what God does? Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the Holy One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, high dwell in the high and the holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, reading that verse impacts me with an amazing contrast. The Most High God has no regard for the Most High people, but he regards the humble. I love what John Piper said about exactly that thought. Piper thought that there would be no mirrors in heaven. Well, he's not saying that implicitly, but he's making a point. He said, we won't be interested in seeing ourselves. We'll be so interested in seeing Jesus. And Mary does see herself, but not in a way that that glorifies herself, but that marvels that her weakness, her unworthiness, as a woman who needs a savior, would be so visited by God. Mary's response to her pregnancy is not, why me, but rather, oh God, how could such amazing grace be given to someone such as I? We can learn from her. Reflecting back on my last trip to Israel with Dr. John Neufeld, I can honestly say it was a trip that changed so much about how I read and experience the Bible. That's why Back to the Bible Canada is offering our 2019 Israel Experience. April 28th to May 6th, Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, the Back to the Bible team, and special musical guests will journey through the promised land. Those places you've wanted to see and experience like the Sea of Galilee, the Garden Tomb, Bethlehem, accompanied by the on-location Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, will become a spiritual experience of a lifetime. So don't delay. Visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 for more information or to register for the Back to the Bible Canada 2019 Israel Experience. This is what Mary saw. She saw, according to verse 48, that from now on, all generations would call her blessed. You want to know what Mary did in this world? She never ran for politics, and she never preached a sermon. She was not a pastor. She never sang or entertained crowds of people on television. She never studied law or medicine. No, she didn't do any of that. So what did she do? 
She held the Son of God against her breast and fed him. She sang to him at night. She cleaned him up and burped him. She, She held him when he cried. And when he got older, she taught him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And she told him about the great love of God expressed in his covenant with Israel. And she modeled a life that was fully dedicated to God. That's what Mary did. The consequence is that she's right. Every single generation is called her blessed. Why? Well, Elizabeth said it well. She is the blessed mother of our Lord. And I'm amazed how many of us have bought into contemporary models of success. You know, women have been told that they're successful if they can do any job that men can do. They mean little to our world if they're just wives and moms. You know, some time ago, my wife was flying to a Christian conference and seated next to her was another woman. She's also going to the same conference. And she started to ask Kathy what position that Kathy held in the, in the church. She wanted to know if Kathy was significant, whether she taught or whether she had significant leadership. Now look, Kathy, well, she's a wound and ostomy clinician in a large hospital in our area. And she's also led numerous women's Bible studies. But, but what Kathy remembered of that conversation is that her children, whether they were walking with Christ, about the joys and trials of motherhood, I mean, all of that, well, that just wasn't even interesting to this woman. Tell me of your accomplishments. Those were the questions to see if I should respect you or not. Not tell me about your home and your family and your children and the grace of God in giving you these eternal things. See, Mary knew what we have forgotten. Her blessedness, the reason she will always be remembered is because of the grace of being the mother of our Lord. Does that sound demeaning to you? Well, perhaps it is because it betrays the difference between genuine blessedness and this striving after making our mark in this world. Mary's the most blessed of all women precisely because she is the mother of our Lord. The great things that Mary noticed is the child that lived in her womb. This, said Mary, is the great thing that has been done for me. And allow me a little attitude here. When we ask a woman, oh, so you're just a stay-at-home mom, are you? Meaning, oh, so you haven't achieved greatness. Well, when we say that, we betray that we have not understood what Mary considered to be the blessed life. Perhaps we need to learn from her. And let's go on to verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And do you notice here that Mary says three things about God? She mentions that he's mighty. He is the God who is capable of all things. Secondly, she says that his proper name, the name whereby we should address him, is holy. That means that God can't be morally compromised. He always does what is right or righteous. And thirdly, she mentions his mercy, compassion. Three things that God is for Mary, his might, his holiness, his mercy. And then Mary, as Mary thinks about those three things, demonstrates her knowledge of those three things. First, she speaks about God's might, his power. Look again at verses 51 to the beginning of 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. So the idea of showing strength with his arm, well, that's a wonderful image. And it's an image that Mary borrowed from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Exodus. Israel is there a nation of slaves. They live in Egypt. Egypt is the most powerful nation of the day. Egypt rules the world. And Israel is simply a band of slaves. They're treated cruelly. And when it seems that they're multiplying too quickly and they seem to be threatening the Egyptians, the order is given to just kill all the male children. Israel has no courts by which they can make an appeal. There is no justice or mercy or hope. 
All they can do is groan under their burden. But then along comes a prophet by the name of Moses, and he's met with God. This is what God said, and I'm reading from Exodus 6, verse 6. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you, watch this, with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. See, there's the image. The arm of God is powerful, and when it's stretched out, it's a display of overwhelming strength. So Moses came to Egypt, not with a mighty army or overwhelming weapons of mass destruction ready to to win a massive war. I mean, he came with a warning. God will show strength with his mighty outstretched arm. (laughs) And how they laughed because it was a joke. But then the waters of the Nile were turned to blood and then came a plague of frogs followed by gnats and flies and the livestock died and then came a, a scourge of boils then massive hailstones and locusts, and then a darkness so deep it could be felt, and Egypt's mighty economy lay in ruins, and then came the crowning blow from God's mighty hand. He killed all the firstborn in Egypt. And then finally, he drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Historians tell us that it took more than a whole generation for Egypt to recover. That's what happens when God shows his mighty arm. And Mary says, that's what God does to the mighty. But then Mary moves from God's might to God's mercy. Look again at verses 52 and 53. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. I mean, why wouldn't Mary say that? When God wanted to bring his son into the world, he bypassed the proud. Listen, God would eventually humble the imperial power of Rome, but he would give Mary a name greater than any of the names of the Caesars. She, that mean-nothing virgin from that tiny, insignificant, and laughable little village of Nazareth, has been given a name greater than Caesar Augustus. I remember seeing a bit of graffiti on a bathroom wall once. It simply said, we meek will inherit the earth, and then in brackets underneath it added, if that's okay with the rest of you guys. You see, the meek inheriting the earth seems like the most unlikely of all scenarios, and yet... That's exactly what Mary knew would one day happen. It is this that Jesus promised, and and if that's true, we should not think of ourselves in terms of our accomplishments at all. Rather, we should not think of ourselves at all. We should magnify God's accomplishments. Now, remember, I said that that Mary has expressed delight in, in three of God's attributes. The first is in his omnipotence or in his mighty power. The second is in his mercy. The God would prefer the humble rather than the the proud. And I also have said that, that Mary mentioned that the name of God is holy. And it is out of this holiness that God has chosen a people unto himself, his, his own holy chosen people. Mary says in verse 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. God had told Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and that through Abraham all the nations would be blessed. And Mary knew that by sending Jesus, God had not forgotten the covenant that he had made with his people. The holy God who cannot be morally compromised made a promise to our father, said Mary. And when God makes a promise, his promise is never broken. In the end, Mary knew that the reason she was pregnant was so much more than the truth that that God tore down the, the pompousness of the proud and exalted the humble. See, the real story of Mary's pregnancy is that from the beginning of God's dealings with his people, 
He has made a sacred promise, and the God who promises never breaks his word. And now is the time when God's ancient promises were being fulfilled, and that quite simply, his Mary's song, her Magnificat. Mary's a woman who's not overwhelmed by how difficult the pregnancy of a virgin birth is going to be explained to her community. Indeed, I'm convinced that if you had told Mary that in short order, I mean, you know, you're going to be a refugee in Egypt and your life is going to be upset, well, I don't think it would have diminished her joy. Mary was a woman whose soul had become enlarged by the greatness of God. And this virgin conceiving of a child told her that God is always the holy God who keeps his words. And dear friends, I think that's the secret of how to keep Christmas well. See, we keep Christmas well when we allow our own souls not to be overwhelmed with what we don't have or what this time of the year reminds us of, but but that we're overwhelmed by the mighty things that God has done for us. Let's keep Christmas well by listening to this woman by the name of Mary. Let's let her words minister to in our souls how the Almighty has done great things for her, but also for us. In this, the birth of Jesus Christ our Lord. John, we probably have a lot to learn from Mary and her reaction to all these things that are going on, and yet she chooses to magnify God. And, you know, in everything goes on in our life, sometimes we can lose that perspective. Yeah, especially around Christmas time, because so many expectations are there and so many people to buy for, and, and then we're supposed to get along with Uncle Harry and all those other people, and maybe we don't and maybe we do. And, you know, so many individuals either have these high expectations or they're feeling, you know, this crushing sense, I don't have what everybody else has, and so I'm going to be lonely this Christmas time. So, you know, there are all those conflicting feelings. Um, you know, Mary's example, I mean, I can't imagine how she might have been ruled by conflicting feelings, but instead she was so overwhelmed with the greatness of God and this wonderful privilege of having been chosen by God. Let's make that our theme when we approach Christmas. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Well-Researched Christmas, right here on Back of the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Dr. John shared these words in our Christmas series. I genuinely love to recount the most amazing birth in human history. And I love to retell the story that at that moment, the people who are walking in darkness, darkness like an overcast, gloomy, wet December, when so many become depressed, in just such a world, a great light has shone. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The task of every believer is to tell the story of the God of light. The month of December sets the stage for the ministry that will take place through Back to the Bible Canada in 2019. Your partnership, your prayers, your gracious gifts allow this Bible teaching ministry to continue. Join us this month by helping reach a goal of $427,000. Your gift from coast to coast allows this ministry to share the light of Christ across Canada and far beyond. Partner with Dr. Newfeld and Back to the Bible Canada today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.